Hi, welcome to Coach Beard's Book Club. I'm Michaela, Coach Beard's assistant. Together with Andrea, Bex and Marita, we'll be diving into the books mentioned or seen in the Apple TV series Ted Lasso. So, if you love Ted Lasso as much as Kelly loves watching Roy cry, then join this group of four women, handpicked by Beard himself, and let's go. Welcome back, Greyhounds. This week we watched Frozen. What were we Woo-hoo. thinking on Frozen? Yeah, we liked it. I liked enjoyed, it. Enjoyed. Yeah, I liked Am I the only first timer? Has everybody seen it before? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I was. The, I'm the, the only first timer. Bex, you have a summary for anybody like me who's also only just seen it or not seen it before. But before we get into that, why don't you introduce our special guest? <laughs> no, I don't want to. Fuck him. <laughs> I. Oh, I agree. This is why we edit. I agree. This is why we edit, Kenny. No editing. Put this out. Just, I think you should drop the audio track from the moment we started recording. And then just, just don't touch it. Don't even put in the theme song. No, no audio normalizing. Just be like, this is, ooh, this is primo grade A. The academic in me cannot hit, like, I'm stressed just hearing about this. Like, no, you must edit. We have a special guest with us this week, and if you're a listener of LassoCast, then you'll know the dulcet tones of Kenny. Welcome, Kenny. The dulcet Yay. tones. You've listened to the podcast a couple times. I'm just imagining Sai listening to this now and being like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> mm. No, I don't think so. That's you're here. You can control the narrative right now. See? Uh, oh, gosh, I freaking love Sai. I freaking love John. I, I love those kids. So, so freaking. Much. We get to watch King Kong next weekend. I'm very Ooh. excited. All right. All the, right. The, the Peter Jackson one, not the short one. Yeah, we're going to talk about Frozen today. Uh, so very, very different vibes. Well, maybe. I don't know. That, that abominable snowman kind of gives King Kong vibes, right? Let me tell you all a little bit about the film for anyone who hasn't had the chance to see it or maybe hasn't seen it since it came out in 2013. So Frozen is a 2013 Disney computer animated musical film. It was the 53rd Disney animated feature and was inspired by Hans Christian Andersen's fairy tale, The Snow Queen. According to Wikipedia, the film depicts a princess who sets off on a journey alongside an iceman, his reindeer, and a snowman to find her estranged sister whose icy powers have inadvertently trapped their kingdom in eternal winter. I just love that they call him an ice man. Like yeah, he's just he's just this ice man that we found. Ice I don't man. know. <laughs> yeah. Was he meant to look like Steve Irwin? Because Jesus Christ, he looks like <laughs> Steve Irwin. He's the Nordic Steve Irwin. <laughs> I was like, it looked like a choice. It looked like they made a choice because that man looks like Steve Irwin. How would you nordify Steve Irwin? I mean, yeah, he's already pretty. Just look at Kristoff. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> you just put him in the in the furs and all that. And yeah. There you go. Yeah. Frozen was initially conceived in 1940, but deemed too difficult to bring to life at that time. It underwent several story treatments over the years before being commissioned in 2011 as a screenplay by Jennifer Lee. Lee co-directed the film with Chris Buck. The film features the voices of Kristen Bell, Adina Menzel, Jonathan Groff, Josh Gad, Santino Fontana, and my favorite, Alan Tudyk. (laughs) Mm. Christoph Beck composed the film's orchestral score and Robert Lopez and Kristen Anderson Lopez wrote the songs. 
The film has been praised for its visuals, screenplays, themes, music, and voice acting, with some critics considering it the film to be Disney's best since the 1990s Renaissance era. I don't know. I'm curious about opinions there. Frozen won two awards at the 86th Academy Awards, Best Animated Picture and Best Original Song. So what do we think? Is it, is it the best one since the 90s? I mean, up until that point, right? Because Moana came out afterward and we could be... Well, and we all know how you feel about Encanto. Um, <laughs> yeah, so. Encan- Encanto is just like whoosh, above and beyond for me. Um, Kenny, what do you think? Uh, Boy, there... Because the things that are good since the Disney Renaissance are kind of subversions of the Disney formula, as opposed to Frozen, which is bringing the Disney formula into the present, um, while still still remaining classical and formalist, while also just kind of being healthier in general, because I guess that's just what has happened with the dialogue in regards to Disney movies and with all of their outputs since then, they've been really trying to uh, lampshade all of the Disney formulas and all of the problematic elements, which, uh, you know, that's one thing. <laughs> uh, personally, I mean, Lilo Stitch is fabulous. And Emperor's New Groove, I think, is a miracle of a movie that is just such a weird blip in Disney's cartoon, mm. out, in, in Disney's animation output, because it's postmodern, but also not being insufferable and also not being uh, self-referential to all the Disney tropes as well. All like, right. Emperor's New Groove is such a wild movie. Uh, that is a good one. That's a good choice. Yeah. Well, my fa- I was just going to look it up. My favorite Disney movie is Fantasia. That's long before the Renaissance era. No, 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 I know. I'm just saying that's what I was just gonna but they did redo it. Didn't they redo it at one point? They came out with Fantasia two thousand. Yeah, and that's not it was not as good. Yeah, that's what I was just thinking about. Right. There were so many ideas in it that I think were so different at the time, and that's what did make it good. Like here here's a couple of princesses that I can actually want to emulate. That's what was different and frozen than anything before it. Like here's two princesses that I actually like respect them. And I don't know. I loved it. I'm a sucker for sister stories. So that pulled me in. Yeah. It was a nice change. Like not having to like go and find the prince to give you a kiss to make you feel better. And then it turned out the truth. Like I liked the twist on the true love sort of thing. I thought that was really sweet. It's quite Ted Lasso, isn't it? So why are we covering this film? Right. Um, It wasn't, at an actual Richmond movie night, but it was absolutely referenced. Season one, episode seven, Make Rebecca Great Again, in which according to, I I love looking up the official description of these. So according to IMDb, Rebecca deals with her anniversary blues. Ted signs papers and has a small breakdown. An old friend of Rebecca introduces herself to Ted. That's the summary of the episode. <laughs> That's got a talent for understatement, I think. That's great. <laughs> but the the Frozen reference is from after they win the game against Everton and they all go out to sing karaoke and Sassy and Keely submit a song for Rebecca to sing without asking her. She gets up on stage not knowing which song it will be. She belts it out and it is amazing because Hannah is amazing. Roy sings along under his breath and everyone else watches un- enraptured. Ted has a panic attack and goes outside where he remains until Rebecca comes out to comfort him. We don't know how much time has passed here, but clearly she had at least enough time to finish the song and 
probably then recognize that he wasn't in the room. So, you know, I think that the amount of time that passes on screen and the amount of time that actually passes, like, that's really reflective of Ted's loss of time with that panic attack. Starting us off on our frozen journey as Marita. Okay, so I'm gonna start off and first uh, I want to thank all of you for your opinions on on, um, Frozen, but Kenny has set me up so nicely with his consideration of where Frozen sits in terms of kind of the evolution of tropes and, and usage of tropes in Disney. Uh, particularly musical films. So that that was perfect for me. Thank you. As always, I dove into the literature a bit, and there's a lot of literature on Frozen, particularly in terms of where it sits as a feminist musical relative to the rest of Disney films, and also how much people can read it as a queer film. I'm going to sort of stick to one book chapter I actually found um, to do my parallels, but there is a lot of interesting stuff out there to read. Uh, The book chapter I'm going to talk about is called Love is an Open Door, Revising and Repeating Disney's Musical Tropes in Frozen. It's by Ryan Bunch in a book called Contemporary Musical Film, which is edited by KJ Donnelly and Beth Carroll. And this book chapter goes into a lot that I don't, but it's so good. It is worth reading, uh, especially if this is your kind of thing. It's it's a really good chapter. So I think Kenny wants you to forward it to him. <laughs> I, uh, I don't know if you like this, but uh, I love movies and uh, I, I like my movies like I like my movies academic. Uh, yeah. That was Kenny's way of saying, did we just become best friends? Yep. So part of the argument in this chapter is that Frozen is a departure. um, And this is just part of the argument. But because of instead of these passive princesses, and it's not true in every story, but we don't have princesses in every movie, right? You know, we have this tradition of passive Disney princesses waiting to be rescued. Uh, which changes a little bit when the Renaissance comes in, but it's certainly, you know, Snow White, Sleeping Beauty, right? <laughs> and so instead of that, we have these active princesses who are going to end up saving themselves. And that Frozen messes with the standard tropes of a lot of the traditional Disney movies by having the real love story not be the romantic plot, but instead the love between the sisters. And I'm not going to go too hard on that because I'm pretty sure that's what Bex is talking about, Uh, but we'll get there. When we look at who worked on Frozen, we could probably kind of expect some shenanigans, right? Because the songs are written by Robert Lopez and Kristen Anderson Lopez. And Robert Lopez co-wrote prior to Frozen, right? Avenue Q and the Book of Mormon, right? So we know something's going to be in there. And it's interesting, you know, when we talked about Bridget Jones' Diary and we talked about feminism with that, there was this dichotomy and a split between people who thought it was a feminist book and film and people who decided it was regressive and absolutely not. Uh, and there's a little bit in that with Frozen 2, some people who think it's very feminist and, and some people who don't because of the tropes and the standard marriage plot that still is present in Frozen. Right. So I'm going to quote the book chapter now. And it kind of gives you a sense of what the book chapter is trying to do. It says, it might be more productive to see Frozen as fitting into a tradition of Disney films in which recognizable tropes are communicated through complex interactions of music and animation along with narrative. These tropes, repeated and revised from one film to the next, come from the fairy tale, the musical, and established practices of Disney film themselves. So what the author's trying to do here, basically, is bring nuance to conversations about gender in Frozen, right? Because it's not this massive departure necessarily, but it's sort of these, it's a piece of these continual revisions of how gender gets treated in Disney films. So I'm going to quote the book chapter again, just quickly and says, where Frozen either replicates or revises these existing patterns, it brings their contradictions and complexities to the surface. So basically what, what the author is doing here is looking at 
not only the tropes that get used, but the music that's used, how the music is written, and sort of how that all contributes and differs from Disney films. And Ted Lasso is not a musical, right? So I'm going to leave the music bit out of it and talk more about general structure and tropes in Disney films and fairy tales and things like that. So as we've discussed, we have Rebecca singing Let It Go and Ted Lasso. So while Ted Lasso isn't a musical, if we sort of as a thought experiment, kind of conceptualize it as following the same kind of structure. We can look at what things we see in common. Uh, we can see what they share in terms of trust structure. And then if we want to be really provocative, we can say, well, okay, so if we see Ted Lasso following the structure, what does that mean for season three? Um, <laughs> our third act, where are we headed there? The first thing to make note of is that Disney films Frozen Included takes a lot from fairy tales. And it uses what's called a dual focus rather than a linear narrative. So I'm going to quote the book chapter again. And it's talking about a scholar named Rick Altman. So the book chapter says, For Altman, film musicals follow a dual-focus narrative in which thematic binaries are reconciled by the romantic pairing of the musical's male and female leads in an alternative to traditional linear narrative. This dual focus involves pairs of scenes or songs in a musical that characterize the male and female leads as opposites to be reconciled by the end of the film. So, and when we see this in films, right, this reconciliation or marriage uh, in musicals le leads to like a healing of the community, like everything becomes right with the world when the two leads get together. And in fairy tales, that goes a little bit farther because we're magical, right? So we get things like the healing of the land and broken spells, and particularly in like old school Disney, like Sleeping Beauty, when she wakes up, right, everything becomes okay again. That's the older, more fairy tale sort of Disney films. When we do get the Disney res resonance, it's another chemistry term, yeah. God, I need so much more sleep. What mm. would the Disney resonance be if you had to <laughs> classify it? <laughs> That's a good question. Well, in, so in chemistry, resonance is you look at different possibilities for the configuration of a molecule and resonance is actually this weird hybridization between those, what that molecule actually looks like. So yeah, I don't know what that would be. Oh, Disney. I know exactly what that would, be. that would be. That would be after Disney's 2D output stopped and in that weird period where they're like, well, what do we do with our animation points? I mean, wow. you could also just say Disney resonance could be that period after the Renaissance, after Jeffrey Katzenberg left and they're like, cool, what is our identity? now and it wasn't really codified tangled was kind of the prelude to this i don't know second renaissance and then frozen is kind of the rebirth of what disney animation is and that's also kind of whenever because during that disney now codified disney resonance period that's whenever pixar kind of becomes the predominant animation force for disney and then disney acquires pixar and then kind of whenever disney acquires pixar at some point, John Lasseter, who was head of Pixar, hops over to D D Disney Animation because Disney is like, the brand. We, the, what about the brand? And then suddenly they kind of start modernizing things. The 2D animation output becomes 3D animation output. And then this all kind of culminates into Frozen. I like Whoa. it. And I, I love that so much. The only thing I don't love about it is now Mikhaila is going to have to leave my fucking in for fuck up in for it to make any sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kenny's whole goal is to get us to have to like to not edit. Things. Yeah. I was going to say I support women's wrongs. I'm leaving it in. <laughs> Yeah, oh, I right. love it. I love I got it. A, I got a background in improv comedy. Uh, mistakes are happy uh, occurrences. I love mistakes. And the only reason that a mistake becomes a mistake is if you just treat it like a mistake. Disney, Disney residents. Amen. Amen. Right. 
Well, my intention was to talk about the Disney Renaissance, right? And Tisk Tisk. <laughs> Why not both? And rather than the standard fairy tales, and it's still definitely got fairy tales going on, right? But it has a lot of protagonists trying to escape their circumstances, you know, like Little Mermaid, where she's trying to get out of the restrictive environment of the sea. Uh, Beauty and the Beast, where, you know, she feels like she's trapped in this small little rural town. But even those kind of end up with a romantic pairing at the end. And so I, I'm going to once again add that the book chapter I've been talking about makes an argument about how both music and animation style affect how the narrative of animation animated films are conveyed. It, it makes a really good argument, but it's just not exactly where we're going here. So we're going to talk structurally about things that we see in these Disney films we see in Frozen and we kind of see in Ted Lasso too. So when we start off the film Frozen, we have an overture, the equivalent to an overture, right? So we've got something that sets the stage, the tone, the setting, and it has foreshadowing in it, but it doesn't necessarily involve any of the main characters. So for Frozen, we get this faux Northern European folk song that has a lot of foreshadowing in it, right? They talk like the lyrics have split the ice apart, beware the frozen heart. You know, we don't know till later on, but that's going to be really important for the movie. And it does have a young Kristoff in it, but we don't really know how important he's going to be yet. And he's certainly not the focal point of the song. Uh, and I was thinking about this and Ted Lasso actually kind of opens with an overture too. Um, and what sets the scene for Americans about a sporting themed world better than sports center, right? We have that sports center thing that opens up the series that explains exactly where we're going, what's happening in the show in a way that's never going to be sort of repeated later on, right? We don't get sports center clips moving forward. Um, it's a very, very American thing. So, Kenny, I know you're not the sports guy, but you know yeah. Sports Center, yes. <laughs> I'm just teasing. Uh, sports Center. That's where that that's the building where they play the sports, right? Yes, that's the that's that's the one. Yep. Mm -hmm. Good, good. Just making sure we're on the same page. Excellent, wonderful. I thought it was a place that you bought the sports shoes. So I've been mistaken this whole time. Uh, yes, I would like one sport <laughs> shoe, please. Yeah. One sport Please. ball shoe. Uh, to go is fine. There is this thing in Ted Lasso, and I'm not sure how well I'm going to articulate this. Probably well. Arlo and Chris doing the commentary on the games. And I, I want to go through and do a rewatch and just focus on what they're saying. But there is this thing that I've seen happen at least a few times, and I bet it's almost every time, where what they're saying about the games actually could also be applied to what's going on with the storyline of the story. So when we talked about the Iron Giant, and I was making this argument for Nate being, because Iron Giant is kind of a retelling of Frankenstein, for, for Nate filling that Frankenstein Iron Giant role. When we open season two, we see just Nate's face and we hear Arlo and Chris talking over the top. And they talk about, you know, the penalty shot that's about to be taken. And when they talk about that, um, they call it a giant opportunity, which is weird language unless you're thinking of Nate as the Iron Giant. And that that's massive speculation there. This kind of touches on something that you said earlier, which is that Ted Lasso, not necessarily musical. However, the way that I understand rules of musicals is that musicals function as the emotion is so overwhelming, the characters can't help but they they just have to express themselves in songs and then uh, as the article said it's an expression of non-linear filmmaking and uh, certainly i'm not getting the wording correctly uh but but don't edit it out but it, it's it's this piece of filmmaking language which is transcendent in in terms of trying to convey feeling it's not literalizing what's happening in the story but instead it's bringing you along and is able to convey even more information because just just by using the medium of filmmaking i posit 
I posit, and I don't even think that there is necessarily a correct answer, but while Ted Lasso literally is not a musical, perchance, perhaps, that Ted Lasso may use the game of football as functioning as musical numbers. Ooh. That's or, interesting. Or, or sports elements. I like that. The emotion is so overwhelming. And the songs are really powerful, too. I mean, the songs are very powerful in the narrative and in the, you know. Yeah, that playlist is just, like, totally took off. Yes, it's a very musically inclined show, too. But but I think that idea of, like, yeah, in a musical, you sprinkle in the songs to reinforce the ideas. Here, you're sprinkling in the sports to reinforce the ideas. And, you know, people always say, oh, it's a football show, but it's not really a football show. It's a show with football in it right and so i think that fits i like that kenny and the fact that we know jason when he wanted the scripts read well probably not just jason all, all the guys wanted the scripts read they wanted this person reading it to listen to a particular song oh yeah in the original pilots yeah also i want to correct you bex that has soccer in it not football oh wow <laughs> we were getting along oh. so well I'm not even the Scottish one. <laughs> I've given up. I've given up. I've probably said soccer like eight times by now. I've just given up. Well, to be fair, that is what the sport is called. <laughs> An- another example of when we have Arlo and Chris commenting on ostensibly the game, but when it really applies to the narrative is the end of season two, right? And we've got the penalty shot that's going to get them you know, promoted or not. And Chris says, all they need is one moment of individual brilliance, Arlo. Right. And all along in Jamie's arc, we've had him trying to be individually brilliant and hog the ball for himself. And now he's got the chance for this penalty shot. Right. But he gives the ball to Danny instead to take the shot. And so within the arc of Ted Lasso, that's got the dual meaning. Right. Because Jamie's individual brilliance there is being a team player. Right. But that commentary from the sportscaster, so it can be read two ways. So it's really interesting that that Ted Lasso kind of does that all the way through. And it's why I want to. I want to do a rewatch paying more attention to what they're saying. You know, as I'll, as I'll caveat a lot of my stuff, maybe it's unintentional, but there's, I, it doesn't feel like a lot of stuff in Ted Lasso that comes up repeatedly is unintentional. No, I think you're right. It's the, the stuff that they say, like I've thought that before as well. And like, this is really well planned out. It's not just throwaway stuff that they're saying. So there's another characteristic of musicals and it's there in Disney musicals. And I'm sure you all are familiar with this, but it's an, I want song, right? And it's near the start, it's really an act. One thing where the characters express their wish, right? So you have examples from Disney, like Part of Your World from The Little Mermaid. Um, My personal favorite from a a musical is Somewhere That's Green from Little Shop of Horrors. I love that song. I love that musical. But if you look at Frozen, you're actually given a couple of choices of what the I Want song is. Oh my gosh. Right? So is it Do You Want to Build a Snowman? Or is it for the first time in forever? Because you get those songs one right after another, and they both express wishes, right? So this book chapter, I'm going to quote again, because of the way for the first time in forever focuses on these two themes, and this is my parenthetical, the desire to escape confinement and to find romantic love, get back to the quote, which have been the motivations for such songs in earlier Disney films, it is not surprising that many would, at first viewing, take this for the main I want song. Indeed, the song is composed to make us think of it as such, setting us up to believe we're watching another Formula Disney film so that the filmmakers can pull the rug from under us later when Anna's desire for romantic love turns out to be less the key to Frozen than her desire to be reunited with Elsa. I think that's a a great argument, and I think that's true. And so 
I want to talk a little bit on the theme of misdirections, uh, because there are a lot of, I think, misdirections, intentional ones in Frozen. And I think Ted Lasso loves to do misdirections too, right? And my favorite misdirection in Frozen is Love is an Open Door, which initially reads like this cheesy love at first sight song, right? So when we talked about uh, the Iron Giant, we talked about something in children's literature called a shadow text. And it's written about written about by a professor named um, Perry Nottleman. And so he talks about children's literature and he argues that it has a fairly straightforward surface level interpretation for a part of the audience, right? Because the children have this surface level interpretation because of the way children interact with literature, right? There's also another implicit reader because there's an adult there, right? And viewer in, in the case of visual media. So basically the shadow, shadow text is this layer of meaning that's implied, but it's not explicit in what's presented. And it takes sort of an adult's understanding of the world to understand and see the shadow text that's there. So this is present through all sorts of, you know, Warner Brothers cartoons, Disney cartoons, right? Where there's jokes that are clearly intended for the adults, right? right? <laughs> Things that the kids aren't going to catch, but sort of make it worthwhile for the adults to be there. So when we have this shadow text, it's interesting because when we rewatch, knowing what happens in the film, we can we know what Hans is up to. And so we can see the shadow text in that song, right? In his lines, in love is an open door. Something that I think is really funny, you know, I, I watched Frozen with my son so many times and then he was preschool age then. And so interacting with other preschool mommies, we were talking about Frozen at one point. And I remember talking about Love is an Open Door and how much I loved the the subtext, the shadow text in that song. Because when you go back, you can look at every single thing Hans is singing. And it is absolutely from the perspective of this cynical narcissist who is using love as an opportunity to get what he wants and fuck over someone else, right? Totally. He's like, I'll read like that if you know that's what's there. Mm-hmm. And I became like the pariah of the mommies group because they were like, oh, it's such a nice song. Like, it's not. It's a great song. But it's not a nice song. Come on. He wasn't a nice guy who changed his mind. Knowing where that storyline goes, like, it's all the more reason to, to go back and reflect on that song and be like, no, it's not okay. That's like, he's really manipulating there. It's like that Sting song, you know, um, every, every Breath You Take, and people were getting, like, married to it, and if you listen to the words, it's just a song about somebody like, stalking somebody and being really right. fucking weird. <laughs> Although that is kind of how some people conceptualize marriage, so maybe it worked for them. I don't know. Ooh, burn! <laughs> Yikes! <laughs> there you go. Um, but anyway... Right. So so we have this open door for Hans from his perspective. It's the opportunity to use love as a tool to get what he wants. And my favorite line from that is actually they sing together. Our mental synchronization can have but one explanation. And it really can. It's just that she thinks the explanation is that they're in love, where the obvious explanation is he's love bombing her and it's going to go badly. Right? I was going to say that, that she's no experience with relationships. And the first one she gets, the guy's just a manipulative arsehole. Hella relatable. Right. And like, I love that line so much because among the people without the life experience or the knowledge, because she's been shut up in this castle, right, to pick out the shadow text is Anna, right? She's not equipped to see that. Um, kids aren't going to see it, though, right? And so, so that's this great example of one of the misdirections in Frozen. Or, or preschool moms either, apparently. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't even remember specifically who I was talking to, and they probably don't even speak to me anymore. And I don't want to, I'm not trying to impugn anyone's intelligence or anything. 
thing. They just maybe aren't as cynical about the world as I am. Maybe didn't put that much thought into it. And like, maybe I just ruined the Frozen soundtrack for them. Uh, <laughs> she's being polite. It was me before recording. I was going, this, I like this song. It's, it's, it's got Santiam Fontana. And you were like, no, 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 it's, it's actually a bit bad. You're, and you're bad. Terrible. Everything is terrible. You're a terrible person for liking it as well. Yes. Which I mean, I would agree with you. Yes. (laughs) But so, so one thing I like about Ted Lasso is like, you know, frozen misdirects you all the time, but Ted Lasso does that too. Ted Lasso loves misdirections. And the one that seems to antagonize the audience most is the banter texting, right? The, the Rebecca, you know, everyone thinks she's texting with Ted. I mean, that's a brilliant switch that they've put in there. I love it. More explicitly called out misdirections, like at the end of season three, when Sam comes in to explain why he's staying and he's talking to Ted, right? But he's really, what he's saying, he's saying to Rebecca and Ted points it out. He's like, you know, I don't think that was meant for me if we're talking about shadow text which you know we are i mean all of season one is shadow text for season two because all of ted's healthy behaviors are absolutely appropriate for season one uh and then also whenever you watch it with the context of season two and delving into the toxic positivity you're like yes this is not fabulous behavior this is not fabulous behavior and then similarly with nate's character arc indeed saying that earlier that few details are just kind of uh thrown out and it's it's all, all of Nate's character is just there but it's a subversion of expectations because we just expect the low status character to just be kind of a, a lovable go-getter but all of these behaviors are 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 right there and so my question for you midway through my my little section here is you know, any predictions anyone wants to give for what misdirection season three is going to give us? Or do we want to hold off on those? Because we know there are going to be some. And, you know, the internet is full of people who make, I think, very compelling arguments of why a relationship between Ted and Rebecca has been signposted. But is that a misdirection or not? <laughs> I, you know what? I don't actually have a problem with Ted and Rebecca getting together. I just really, I feel this is where I, I'm my favorite character. And, and the real life bit comes Who's that? into play. You've never said, you've never said nope. to your favorite character. You know what? I'm not telling you today. Taheeb trolls people online about like the whole relationship thing. Like I just, I, I'm amused by the idea of trolling it because we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know if this is, is, as you said, signposting or misdirection or maybe like a double misdirection and coming back around. And I just say, have fun with it in the meantime. Oh, I agree with that. Yeah. And I just want to, for me, it's like, it's more like, it's such a trope that like, I really hope they don't like, I almost like, yeah, I kind of don't care if that's what happens. They're both adorable. If they got together, I would like, they're adorable. I love it. But at the same time, it's like, but we always do that. And Rebecca needs to understand that she is so much without a man. Like Rebecca is everything without a man but she seems to think that that's what she needs in order to be valuable and it's just like i want to like just shake her and be like no you don't like i want her to learn that that she doesn't need anyone she is amazing and awesome as she is and like she has all these rich relationships in her life like that would make me really happy for us to not go down that trope road similarly i first off i agree with all of that and also, I would not be surprised if they would have Rebecca go the other way and go, all I need is myself. Uh, I've been through so much. 
and also inviting intimacy, not necessarily codifying it in a romantic relationship of going, we're going to be happily ever after, but also let's just take this relationship one moment at a time because intimacy, actual intimacy, actual vulnerability is extraordinarily difficult. And as opposed to the past where I was with Rupert and I was trapped in this situation because I craved approval and I craved intimacy, this time I am choosing it with you while also recognizing that I am enough. And for a show like Ted Lasso, that feels, Ted Lasso very often takes the more challenging route when in its storytelling. And I would not be surprised if that's where it's driving. Also feel like her ending up with Ted would be, I don't know, a little bit too simple. Ted is an answer to so many of what so much of what Rebecca needed in season one and a couple spells in season two. But if we left Rebecca to choose what kind of intimacy that she wants in her life and how to express her vulnerability, how to express her most, I don't know, potent emotions, is Ted necessarily the person that she would want to do that with for a time and i'm not sure that that's the answer <laughs> i just love that we're, we're like you know it would be okay but also no 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 <laughs> no i don't ship it no and let's just say like ted has a lot of fucking healing to do like ted mm -hmm. needs to focus on ted he doesn't need to get into a relationship it's not all about rebecca oh shoot you putting it that way whereas ted needed or whereas Rebecca needed Ted in season one, perhaps Ted needs Rebecca in season three Maybe, because yeah. she has gone through that journey of I am enough. Mm -hmm. She will be his friend and help him. Yeah. yeah. I'm evil. I would leave it so that like the audience decides, <laughs> but then you couldn't have a fourth season. You How know what I mean? Like, you? Yeah. I would leave it where they're like, you? are we going to, are we not? And then just fucking leave it. As someone who was burnt by Supernatural, I don't know how I feel yeah, about that. Yeah, Make the I decision. <laughs> I get it. I get it. Yeah. Because Ted Lasso, the team with Ted Lasso feels so purposeful. I feel like if they were to do a season four, it would feel meaningful and it would it, it would have some sort of substance. I couldn't imagine them doing a season five, but I can imagine a season four epilogue where they're going, the story is not done just because you have finished this portion of growth does not mean that the growth stops agreed yeah uh, also i think roy will just lose his shirt and his arc in season three will just be him looking that's okay for a shirt i'm that's okay fine. with that I'm okay with that too <laughs> i'm gonna bounce back to rebecca cutting herself off from intimacy because the next thing I was going to talk about is the song let it go right so all through frozen you have a lot of door imagery right <clears throat> you have doors representing separations and isolation so when they're singing do you want to build a snowman that's on either side of the door right at the end of let it go when she's built his her ice castle she like slams the door shut dramatically that's the end of the song when we uh read and discussed miss peregrine's home for peculiar children one of the things i talked about is a quote from the book that sometimes you just need to go through the door right and if we look at ted lasso ted has real issues with doors 
right? He slams his head going through them, not once, but twice, right? I realize one was an unintentional filming mistake, but one of them, he's just walking in and just, and it's slapstick. It's funny. Possibly more intentional is the door to Dr. Sharon's office and how she closes him out and how he uses the door and slams it in his like interactions and separations with her, right? So there's definitely door imagery going on in Ted Lasso too. One of the things the book chapter talks about is an interview that uh, Robert Lopez and Kristen Anderson Lopez did. It's, uh, I think it's Fresh Air with NPR, where they're talking about writing the song Let It Go and how it was actually kind of a turning point in the writing because they had to reconceptualize Elsa after they had that song. And Hans Christian Andersen's original fairy tale, right? The Snow Queen's the villain. And Elsa's sort of set up to be the villain, but she ends up not being the villain in the movie. And because we, a, a big part of that is because we have so much more perspective on how she's feeling from that song, Let It Go, right? So why I think that's really interesting is we have that song in Ted Lasso, but in season one, that song is really a turning point for Rebecca. She goes from being the villain, right, to after she sings that song, she goes and helps Ted with his panic attack, right? She starts feeling guilty and figuring out how to redeem herself. That That is a like a pivotal turning point in the season. And so I thought that was really interesting that sort of how much that song changed what they wanted to do with the character in Frozen and how much that song changes Rebecca's trajectory in Ted Lasso. And I think that it can, it can be seen even more when Sassy and her are outside and they're talking about how she climbed the stairs of the Ivory Tower and she's seeing... You just jumped into my next point, Michaela. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, 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 you're okay. You're leaving. So, so in, in the book chapter, Bunch argues that it's more of a, you know, we have I want songs um, and then we have I am songs. So Bunch argues this is more of an I am song. And he says, and this is a quote, in contrast to the traditional princesses, Elsa has chosen her form of freedom by isolating herself and shutting herself in. And so we do in Ted Lasso in that episode, and sorry that I kind of interrupted you, but just to bring this no, together, no, right? So the quote is, Rupert is a horrible man who built an ivory tower he kept you captive in, but you climbed every single step of that tower on your own. So that's, you know, very much like a, a Rapunzel kind of tower, but it's sort of a, a, an isolation of her own making. And that's a kind of an interesting point and, and a huge parallel, I think, between Elsa and Rebecca. So if you had more you wanted to say on that, sorry, I didn't want to. No, no, it was just that was exactly it. Like just the Make Rebecca Great Again episode, Rebecca's arc really does quite closely follow alongside Elsa's, like even sometimes just metaphorically, you know, like shutting herself away in a big ice tower. And Ice Queen's quite like something that a lot of shows in the past would focus on being a character and not really exploring the three-dimensionality of it. And that's what we're getting, I think. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, so I thought it was really interesting because if you listen to them talking like in interviews, both Jason and Hannah, I think, talk about this song in production. Uh, maybe it's more Hannah. Uh, but she didn't really want to sing the song because anyone who has a kid has heard it 800,000 times, right? And uh, the story that I've heard is that Jason basically said, if you can find a better song in this moment, you know, let's hear it. And of course, she wasn't going to find one. This was set up for that. And and while I'm talking about, you know, I want and I am songs and Ted Lasso not being a musical, I do think it's interesting that the one time we hear Ted sing, and, you know, this could be coincidence because it's a bottle episode, right? And it's in season two, which is the wrong spot for an I want song. Um, but it's in the Christmas episode and he's singing in Baby, Please Come Home, right? I don't think that's an arbitrary song choice. I think that's still where Ted's at. So it's interesting that the one time they have him sing, that's what we get from him. I just, I thought that was a, a cool song choice because there's a, 
there is such an array of Christmas songs as carols that Hannah could have belted out and sounded amazing. So I, I think having Ted sing that one time with that song right there is is a really cool choice. I point at my screen like Kenny knows where he's at on my screen. By the way, Kenny, what do you got? <laughs> it's, it's not the only time that Ted sings, though. If we're saying that he sings uh, in Baby Please Come Home in uh, the Christmas episode, he also sings in uh, No Weddings and a Funeral. Oh. So, yeah. so I'm saying so far, right. And and I guess what I'm saying is as a performed song that was planned. So you're you're very right. It's not the only time he sings, but it is the first time he sings. Oh, I guess it, it, that is intentional. Yes. Uh, also, talking about placements as well, and I'm not entirely sure if this connects, but I just made this connection that it, Rebecca sings a song in the back half of season one Rebecca sings a song recontextualizes an extraordinarily popular song in the back half of season one recontextualizes an extraordinarily popular song for resonant impact in the back half of season two Ooh, perhaps so we're looking for that in season three is what you're saying there's our- per- they're going to recontextualize an extraordinarily important song or an extraordinarily popular song to have emotional resonance and perhaps uh, it, per, perhaps maybe it is Ted. Ooh, interesting. Listeners, what do you think? Let us know. <laughs> so now I'm going to talk about the dual focus narrative, and I swear this was much shorter. We've just had the most amazing conversation, so I'm glad you all are chiming in. Uh, Michaela, keep this in and double it. <laughs> okay, that's it. That's it. I'll speed up. All right. So again, and I'm going to quote from that chapter again, and it's a quote I've already used, but the dual focus involves pairs of scenes or songs in a musical that characterize the male and female leads as opposites to be reconciled by the end of the film. And so we actually have a lot of dual focus possibilities in Ted Lasso, right? And if we look at who kind of the characters map to, Rebecca reads very much as Elsa. I would argue Keely reads as Anna. She's like energetic. She's cheerful. She's eager to connect with people. And then our Kristoff and, you know, in a, a role that Jonathan Groff got relegated to one short, pointless song, right, is is gruff and he's masculine and his identity is rooted in masculine things. So like Kristoff with his sled. And so I would argue he's Roy, right? So Roy, is, his identity is so rooted in, in football. Um, as an aside, I think Ted maps most closely to Olaf. Ted is absolutely the Olaf in this um, show. But if we're looking at a dual focus narrative, that gives us a few possibilities. Are we looking at Keely and Roy ending up together? Uh, are we looking at Rebecca and Ted, who are very much presented as opposites in a gender trope reversal kind of way, right? Because he's the sunshine and she's sort of the, the grouchy, grumpy one. Uh, or is it Rebecca and Keely's friendship? And so it's interesting that with you know we have the fairy tale theme. So when whoever is supposed to come together gets together, like the land heals magically. And so whenever that happens in Ted Lasso, right, I I see that like the only possible conclusion, which of course they could subvert, is the land healing by Richmond winning the whole fucking thing, right? That is our magical healing of the land if we're following these tropes. And so in terms of what the dual focus is meant to be, I think the themes of found family that keep up coming up in Ted Lasso so often are a clue. So I'm going to read a quote from the book chapter again, and it's talking about... um, when Anna and Kristoff go to visit the trolls in Frozen. 
And the quote is, the trolls who can see where things are going between the two of them, that means Anna and Kristoff, sing Fixer Upper, which is no mere diversion or conditional love song. It also contains the key to all of Anna's, Elsa's, and Arendelle's problems, extolling the love of family as much as love of a significant other. And so there's a quote from the song, everyone's a bit of a fixer upper, that's what it's all about. Father, sister, brother, we need each other to raise us up and round us out. And so back to quoting the, the chapter, Fixer Upper encapsulates the theme of family love, compressing the film's shift of focus from romance to family in one song. And I'm going to say, as an aside, the trolls are absolutely Roy's yoga ladies. I believe that. That's amazing. But so I, I think that's interesting if we're if we're following this frozen sort of subversion of narratives, what that means for Ted Lasso. And I think that leads into what Bex is going to talk about, what our dual focus is going to be. So we heard Rebecca sing Let It Go at karaoke night, and we asked if you could choose any song from any Disney musical for a character in Ted Lasso, who would you have sing which song and why? Jane says, you've got a friend in me from Toy Story for Ted to sing to Rebecca at the gala. Liz says, zero to hero for our favourite wanker, Ted Lasso. Lil Biquette says, a whole new world by Ted and Rebecca as they're going to go on a mushroom trip in Amsterdam. John says, Poor Unfortunate Souls, sung by Rupert, because it would be deliciously evil. To join in the fun, follow us at Beards Book Club on Twitter. Now, back to the podcast. I'm really going to talk about this idea of soulmates and true love in a sense, right? Um, and I think the trolls are a great part of it too because at one point, I forget which one it is, but one of them says, a true love's kiss maybe and doesn't actually like say, like this is the way. This is just a possibility. But uh, before I do that, I wanted to go over my parallels. And honestly, Marita, you had my first four spot on, right? Rebecca's Elsa, Keely is Anna, Roy is Kristoff, and Ted is Olaf. But I wanted to add um, season one Jamie as Hans and Beard as Sven. <laughs> I just really see. But there was this one moment where I thought about Beard in the role of Kristoff. And it was only from the scene in which uh, I think parallels from Beard After Hours when, and this is going to be Mary's husband as Oaken from the trade and post oh yeah this <laughs> giant guy yeah, but he I'm... like literally throws him you know but he's like big and gruff and chasing him and 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 so there i like that moment i was like yeah okay so that's the one piece where i see beard as Kristoff, but because beard is more of the silent type observing but understanding everything and he and olaf become really close as well you know they have a connection that just like beard and ted do I love this movie because of its departure from the traditional princess finds love and lives happily ever after trope. Now, Marita and, and you know, Kenny and Andrea, you've all kind of addressed this a little bit, that it does still sort of fit into this, but it does it in its own way, right? It, it, it turns the tables a little bit. And, you know, maybe that, I would say a spoiler for my hot take about Ted Lasso, but like you all know <laughs> that hot take already. I'm... 100% okay if 
Ted and Rebecca do not end up together. If they do, just make sure it works. Just make sure it works and I'll be okay. But I am also good if they don't. I don't know. We'll lose our listeners. Listen. Did that have anything to do with Sam? No, it doesn't. It really doesn't. And and at the end of the day, like that I think is is really key to know. Like, yeah, obviously Sam and Rebecca, I was a fan, but I don't think that's where the story's going and I'm okay with that. So again, I'm coming back to this idea of true love and where do we find true love? So I'm going to make some statements about certain characters and I'm just wondering <laughs> who we're talking about here, right? So this character seems like he's, you know, the ideal partner, good looking, you know, everything great on the surface. But really, he's only out for himself. So who am I talking about here? Is this Jamie Tart or is this Prince Hans, right? <laughs> Why not both of them? And this is not where we find true love, but this is where we think. At the beginning, Keely is like, oh, yeah, me and Jamie, like, it's, you know, we're both do this thing and, and it just works. It's easy. It's the first relationship that's working. You know, not that she she said she dated other footballers before, but, you know, this is the one she's in at the moment. And she's not really thinking about it more than just being with someone. So this is not our true love. The next one is a cute example, but I also don't think it's true love, at least not yet. This individual is totally smitten. Like, uh, well, let me let me gender it because I think I think that will fit here. So he, my character here is a he, he's totally smitten with her, and it's clear that she's into him too. But she's made the decision to figure out her own shit first, at least eventually. Am I talking about Roy and Keeley? Or am I talking about Kristoff and Anna? And again, it works for both. Cute, loving relationship, sure. But true love, at least not yet. I mean, Kristoff and Anna get closer in Frozen 2. We don't have a Frozen 3 for me to see where Roy and Keeley will go <laughs> next. But it's not in that superficial partnership at the beginning it's not even in a deeper relationship romantic relationship that's sort of building simultaneously with a friendship the next one i think we're getting a little bit closer and this is marita you you suggested that maybe this was a possibility and that is true love i'm trying to do this without spoiling it but true love in a pairing where they look out for one another where they put each other above the other people around them where they just get each other in a way that no one else can. So who's this? Is this Rebecca and Keely? Or is it Elsa and Anna? Right? That pairing. And again, you know, even going back to this episode, Rebecca is wearing like this blue, like icy blue, silky romper jumpsuit thing that definitely gives you Elsa vibes. She's got a plait in her hair as well, hasn't she? She's definitely got a plait that looks like an Elsa plait in her hair. Yep, yep. She's got and and it's the same color that that platinum blonde as well. Whereas Keely's hair is more in that like reddish brown vein that that Anna's is. I think we're getting closer here, right? In terms of the true love, this is true love between sisters or sisterhood. Right. In the case of Rebecca and Keely, who might not be sisters, but have created a bond that is very sisterly. I mean, 
the whole conversation about what do you I still haven't figured out what to tell people when I need to take a shit or whatever. Right. Like that's a conversation that I would have with my sisters is it's a close relationship. You have to have reached a certain uh, level of intimacy with one another before you feel comfortable even bringing that conversation up, I think. Uh, I think the key key word there is intimacy, right? Because this is something that Rebecca is explicitly afraid of in a romantic relationship, right? She talks about how Sassy's described intimacy as like what, like a willingness to be or to be attacked, <laughs> something along those lines. But she already has this intimacy in her relationship with Keely, this level of comfort and intimacy that perhaps she doesn't understand how much to value quite yet. Right. And and that's it. Like, you know, you see her relationship with Sassy. They were close friends, but they grew apart. And I obviously a lot of that involved Rupert. And so in that, if you want to make some parallels there, we can put Rebecca in the Anna role and Sassy in the Elsa role as like the voice of reason that you're just not listening to and that ends ends up taking you down a path you weren't expecting. Although I would argue you could also flip those roles with with Sassy and Rebecca because Sassy is the one who would have preferred not being shut out and Rebecca was doing the shutting out. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Very true. Very and true. Ch- they, I think with Keely and Rebecca is that Keely challenges Rebecca. Like she doesn't let her away with stuff. She like is on her case about it straight away. Yes. Yeah. And that, again, ties into that intimacy and leads me to what I think is actually the true love that needs to be found and what I see in both the film and the and the show as the true love. And that's finding that love inside themselves. Self-love. Self-love, right? True love is inside of her. It's in the choices she makes for herself, in the choices that she makes to support those around her. And again, there's not one answer for this, right? Is it Anna or Keely? Is it Elsa or Rebecca? Like both of these situations work, both of them are really important that they all need to grow in themselves first. And they're all at different stages of being able to do this and to accept themselves, their journey. And if you've seen Frozen 2, you recognize that that journey is continuing, right? Them trying to figure out their own shit is still happening. Them trying to understand their love for each other, but also their love for themselves continues to grow. I've only seen that one once, so I can only give like a broad stroke uh, comparison there, but yeah. Well, and it's like, um, just one thing I want to kind of jump in, like it kind of makes me think a lot about Right. Like the importance that people put on marriage and that like marriage is supposed to be this thing where you find the right person and everything works out. But like, you know, and and when relationships don't work, we we point at the other person. It's well, it's their fault. Right. And we never look at what we're bringing into the relationship and like how right like marriage isn't supposed to be. I don't know exactly how to say this, but like like we demonize marriage is like marriage is the problem where the problem is each other like it's it's what you're bringing into the relationship and the things that you're you know and I, i'm characterizing here this isn't i'm you know i'm not trying to say every relationship you know fits into these boxes right right there is something about like whatever like I, how many people you talk to them are like oh my ex is crazy my ex is crazy and it's just like okay like every you know and like there are exes that are crazy like believe me like, but what's their narrative 
right? What's right. their narrative? And like, yeah, that it? person has problems that they needed to work on before they got married. Exactly. Like that's almost kind of like, that's exactly my point. Like they needed to fix themselves before they're like, oh, I'm going to get married now. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What Rebecca said, where she's like, I need to go figure out why I'm so scared to be alone before I'm with somebody. So she basically made that choice too. Well, and there's this whole thing that we do societally that you also sort of see reflected in the rejection of this traditional romance storyline in Frozen, where for some people getting getting married is seen as such a pivotal, and of course it's a very important step in life, but getting married to someone is the, the pivotal, most important relationship you're ever going to have. And so a lot of people commit to that when it's not a good idea but they do it also at the expense of any other community that they've built that's so that's so weird that you're talking about that uh surely a relationship dynamic like that certainly didn't happen in ted lasso say uh examining that around season one episode five where (laughs) but but and that's that's the moment where i fell in love with the show where instead of taking the easy route and going uh Ted's ex is a is a tramp and she's a harlot and she's a uh, and she's instead just like I'm I'm trying I'm really trying and it's just not clicking and I'm sorry I'll try harder and Ted being the one being like no him having to come to the realization uh that being married is not the end goal being I don't know, achieving self-satisfaction, being able to achieve, uh, correct me if this is the incorrect word, but it's the word that I've been using recently. Homeostasis with your environment is, is the thing that is desirable. And then season two furthering that of going, of, of Ted investigating his possible, I, I think this is more subtextual versus overt text, but uh, his his toxic positivity potentially leading to the demise of the relationship, not because of anything that he's actually doing, but just because it is so pervasive. And and instead, opening himself to being attacked as opposed to using positivity to control the situation because he's so absolutely terrified. Well, and Kenny, I think that that says a lot about where I wanted to like bring this all together is like it doesn't mean that this discovery of true love doesn't mean they can't find romantic partner love, right? It just maybe wasn't the right person at the right time in the right situation, especially in the case of Ted and Michelle. It was like, yeah, they were that worked for a while, but it it when it didn't work, it was okay that it didn't work. It took some time to understand that that was okay for both of them and for different reasons. But it also doesn't mean that they can't find like a romantic partner love. They have to love themselves as part of this journey. But, you know, like like I said, I've seen Frozen 2. Kristoff and, and Anna, I ship it. I mean, they're so cute, right? But Elsa, she doesn't have a romantic partner at the end of the film. And I don't, and if I remember correctly, even at the end of Frozen 2, is she's just doing her thing, right? And that's okay. At the end of Frozen 2, Elsa and Anna leave each other mm. um, because the, and they understand that their lives are growing apart and they have to let them grow apart. And it is a very difficult thing to 
come to. Yeah. And that's going to keep them close too, right? Like that going away from each other is going to also make them when they're together, a stronger sisterhood. Mm -hmm. I would argue. I mean, as someone who feels that way about my own sisters anyway, and that can very much be like the Rebecca and Keely storyline, right? That we see in season two where Keely's going her own way to do her own thing and grow on her own. I like well, that. She, she separates herself from Roy too. I mean, in, in Frozen 2, we get the amazing Lost in the Woods, which is just such a fabulous song. <laughs> um, do y'all know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. uh, that's the one where they are, and correct me if I'm wrong, Lost in the Woods? Yes, that is correct. <laughs> it's a Kristoff song. Um, and in the interview that I talked about earlier with with uh, Robert Anderson and Kristen Lopez Anderson, they, they talk about how much pushback they got from Jonathan Groff songs about how little he was used musically in the first movie. And so he gets this amazing 80s power ballad where he lays down all of the backing tracks as reindeer as well. So there's like 18 Jonathan Groff tracks in that song overlaid wow um, and then it was uh the you know they always have like an uh a pop artist cover at least one of the songs so that was weezer did that song um for the the radio version so if you haven't seen the video it's um it's it's just uh, it's amazing <laughs> jonathan groff is no santino fontana i won't i'll just say that <laughs> yeah but he never comes back hans is bye-bye <laughs> yeah bring santino fontana back that's what I'm saying. As the ghost I, of Hans, <laughs> I miss. I give miss him a redemption him. arc. Give him yeah. a redemption arc. He's yeah. not the mate. <laughs> For me, you know, again, I'm saying like I don't mind if Rebecca finds romance wherever that is, but I don't need it. And I think it's even stronger for her to not need it. Doesn't mean she can't find it, right? But to recognize that she doesn't need it to be herself, she doesn't need it to be a complete person. And, you know, besides, if she's by herself, like, coming back to my Frozen parallel, if Elsa is Rebecca and Olaf is Ted, that would be awkward AF. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Gross. Uh, let me pause it if we are. Kenny, I'm not sure where you're going with this, but all right. Uh, so there's some fan fiction that I read in an archive of our own. Okay. Oh, All right. That's a good start. Good some start. Olaf Elsa fanfic? Yeah. Rated uh, E? <laughs> uh, it said rated very NC-17, which was very interesting. Uh, no, uh, a positing instead of, uh, as a journey of, of self-love and engaging intimately and, and allowing yourself to be attacked. Rebecca running the football club and perhaps Rebecca as one and then to personify it football club as another and kind of challenging what that relationship means to each other because she took the football club out of spite to spite Rupert because it's something that he loved. Rebecca and the football club are together but is it actually something that she is engaging with because she purposely hired ted lasso and ted lasso is not exactly the best coach that's textual um and perhaps that is a relationship that could be explored in season three all right so just a couple of like thoughts that i had that didn't really fit into my flow here that i want to leave us with uh, before we go or before we move on rather 
the conceal it, don't feel it, don't let it show being a very dangerous mentality. Control doesn't mean to shut out or shut off. Fear can be the enemy, but it doesn't have to be. Uh, there's also the difference in reacting to losing your parents and how they cope with that. Going back to what Marita said before about Elsa and Anna and Sassy and Rebecca, one day she just shut me out and I don't know why, right? Could be either pairing. Then the last thing is there's really like, again, something that I latch on to, as I've said a million times, are the sister stories. There's not a lot of siblings in the show, right? We know that Roy has a sister, but we've never seen them together. And we're not even sure if we've seen her, although there are fan theories on that. Nate allegedly has a sibling. You knew I had to bring it back to that. Yes, there's conspiracy theory of Bex that she doesn't actually exist. Yeah, that, that, that niece isn't there. The niece, the niece, I think, is actually Nate just using the niece as a cover-up for his arts and crafts. Because he is, he's afraid to admit that he enjoys crafting. And so he has created this niece, and we've never heard anything about a sibling, brother, sister, otherwise. We've never met them. That would explain why his parents are a little weird to him because we see like one of the crafts at their house. And if it's like, oh yeah, yeah. my niece made this. And they're like, we watched you do that. Because mm-hmm. he picks it up and he's like, oh, that's a good one that is. So I suppose you could argue he was just complimenting his own work. Right, because again, he does the same thing, pulling out the, the newspaper. He's like, oh, they'll put anyone on the back of the paper, right? And just, just... It might be bringing me around. You might be bringing me around in this. <laughs> they're going to need to show me the sibling going to need in order to believe like that, that sibling is real proof of, <laughs> dna proof of relationship yeah okay yeah personally bex uh i'm just shocked at how many yarn strings that you've got strung up behind you it is shocking and i was not expecting you to be able to connect the moon landing to nate and yet like there it is right there right behind you see anytime anytime i'm here for that Show me the niece you can't handle the niece <laughs> <laughs> I love the idea of Nate as a closet crafter. Like, I don't know. That just Mm -hmm. tickles me. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Um, And finally, I just want to leave off with a quote that I really liked uh, from the film that I think works well in the context of both. You're lucky it wasn't her heart. The heart is not so easily changed, but the head can be persuaded. Let's take a break to hear some more of your Disney karaoke recommendations for our Ted Lasso characters. Rachel F says Jamie would sing Gaston a whole song about how great he thinks he is. Terry suggests Nate be prepared from The Lion King. Nate has a leadership complex, he feels entitled to have all of his ideas be solely credited to him and he's threatened by the other coaches, especially Roy. Now back to the podcast. Andrea, you talk. You're you're up next, and I don't know if my quote in any way feeds into what you're going to talk about, but I hope that you can do something with it. We will see. I first, I have to do a very quick disclaimer. Um, I was a bad podcast host, co-host, and I went to a concert last night and screamed my head off. <gasps> so my voice is scratchy. I have to keep stopping and like clearing my throat. We'll see how I do. It was awesome. It was an amazing show. I loved By the it. Way, anyway. can, can you list who is on your shirt? Oh, Mary Shelley, Ursula Le Guin, Madeline, well, yes, Lingle, and Octavia Butler. Love it. And just to clarify, the concert 
the concert that you went to last night was Yo-Yo Ma? It was. Yeah. I screamed my head off. He's amazing. It was the Afghan wigs, which I highly recommend you all go listen to the Afghan wigs. Amazing. Okay. So I loved this movie. Um, It's adorable. And it has some uh, some great messages, I think, in it. You know, the pain, um, some deep messages, the pain of isolation, the pain of being different, the pain of smothering your light, smothering yourself and who you are, how you can't overprotect your children. A parent needs to give their uh, their children the tools and space to learn how to cope on their own. Picking the good looking rich guy is not the only way to happiness. <laughs> you need your family and community. And that that there are all kinds of different love other than romantic, and they are just as important. I feel like Kenny agrees with most of them, but he's not so sure about the not marrying a rich man. Uh, Good-looking rich man. Good-looking rich man. Excuse if me. I, if I could counter, rich men have boats. I get motion sickness, so. Uh, then you need to get a really big boat, then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> really rich guy. Really rich guy. Um, I like that it's essentially pro-winter. Because I live in the Midwest and I love yes. winter and cold. <laughs> oh, see, 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 we're in wildfire season here in Oregon and I cannot wait until it is just drenching rain here. I cannot wait. And, you know, Anna punching the jerk at the end is like my kind of fucking princess. Like, go. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't end in a goddamn wedding. So those are my reasons why I love it. Yes. So as usual, as most things we have read and watched, uh, there is not just one person that the story is telling us about. Um, So I do want to focus on Nate as Elsa. So Elsa's redemption arc builds much like Nate's. You know, obviously we don't have Nate's whole story, especially where it will end. And we don't honestly have a ton about the very beginning either. We don't see him growing up at any point. But we can look at his rise and failures that we do see. So both had loving but toxic parents. Nate's dad loves him. He thinks he needs to be this tough, critical dad to make his son better. Or at least that's my theory that has been proven. But I feel like he's like, I need to constantly be on him to keep him improving. That seems to be what I feel his MO is. And Elsa's parents are, you know, see her talent in their daughter and then tell her to be ashamed and scared of it, you know, to the point of not even interacting with her own family and shutting her in a room, the loss of the community and everything. They teach her that hiding and isolation are the only way to deal with this. And Nate also, to me, felt very naive, sheltered and stunted when we meet him. So I feel like there's maybe some kind of similar something, you know, or maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe just the shaming of his dad was so bad that he was just scared to interact with people. That might be the way it goes. I really, really, really am praying to the Ted Lasso gods that that is some of the backstory we get in season three. So the small theory there that, like, you know how he's, we've never really been able to work out why Nate's dad is such a dick. And I'm wondering mm-hmm. if it's along the lines of, I wonder if um, Nate had hurt his sibling when he was younger. Mm-hmm. And his dad holds some resentment for it. Yeah. It's a bit dark, isn't it? Maybe, but I think if you, if we go with the Frozen parallel, right, Elsa mm-hmm. learns in Frozen 2 that her powers are, like, passed down from her family. Right. And so Nate's experiences are passed down from his father, who likely had them passed down before him. So it's like a generational Mm -hmm. trauma. uh, It's like toxic masculinity train, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I also think it's interesting because in Frozen, her parents teach her, like, basically isolate her because of what the trolls said they had to do. But you look at the trolls and they're chaotic and they 
that's not what they told the parents to do, right? They told Elsa to learn to control it. Yes. I think so much damage that parents do is trying to find this absolute way to parent their kids in order to achieve a perfectly reasonable goal. Like Elsa controlling her magic is a perfectly reasonable thing. It ends up she had to do that through love, right? But the parents took it entirely the wrong way. And I think that's the story of so much childhood trauma. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> including yeah. Both yeah. With, with with Frozen and probably with Nate. Yeah, yeah. It is very interesting. You know, and, and maybe maybe the sibling has passed away that's what i was wondering you know that's another option well now you make me look like the asshole who doesn't think it exists and (laughs) no kenny says no i made myself look like the asshole (laughs) (laughs) well and then maybe the niece is this familial hallucination that they all pretend exists as a bizarre way of coping i'm just (laughs) yeah we really took it yeah (laughs) <laughs> wow that wow that uh we're going with a secret fight club ending yeah. yes yes we have taken a left turn wow <laughs> i'm here for it both of them come to age and enter society and cannot handle it um they have no tools for controlling their emotions for relating to other people and it ends in di- disaster in both scenarios um neither of them have any extended relationships in their lives to be there to understand support talk to them anything like that it drives elsa towards reinforcing the narrative that she doesn't need anyone and that isolation is the best way to deal with this it forces her to push everyone away and ultimately hurt her sister and others nate is craving a father figure in his life uh to support him but he doesn't really understand what that means and ultimately gives into the peer pressure the social media talk he craves attention and support but again he doesn't know what that means and how support doesn't mean blind adoration or only positive you know positive thoughts and feedback he pushes Ted away to find glory with Rupert and another team. But both of them do have someone on their side. Nate has Ted. Elsa has Anna. But neither of them see it or realize it. So yet they are so un- unable to understand the nuance of these relationships to see them for what they are. And kind of, you know, even that idea of like that kind of like I have so much control over my life that I'm the only person I need. Yeah. Their idea of what love means is so twisted that they can't see it right in front of them. And so Elsa loses control of herself and her powers and starts to hurt people. They all shun her and drive her away. She tries to protect herself. Nate starts to show a talent he has and can't understand the difference between support and growth and just being power hungry. Nate opens himself up to be swooned by the evil presence, the evil presence of Rupert Mannion. <laughs> Well, Elsa. <laughs> Good laugh. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, El- <laughs> see, when I first saw your shirt and I saw the Ursula, I wasn't, I didn't have the rest of the contact. So I was hoping yeah. it was like maligned female Disney villains. For unfortunate souls. Listen to Big Reputations to learn more. Mm. <laughs> plug, plug in my other podcast while I'm here. <laughs> you have another podcast? I have two others, but one of them we talk about women and we did an episode on redeeming Ursula. So, Well, Elsa listens to the voices from her parents telling her to hide and push away. Both end up hurting the person who cares for them most, Anna and Ted. So the end, the redemption. We don't know what's going to happen to Nate. But if we look at Elsa's story, ultimately Anna sacrifices herself to save Elsa. 
Elsa's love saves Anna and love is the cure to undo all the damage. It is in that moment, Elsa opens herself up to Anna and the love that has been there all along and it allows her to undo the damage she caused. What will we see with Nate? I assume he's going to have some kind of initial success with the team, but then are things going to start to turn sour? Maybe Nate loses his job. Maybe there's a confrontation with Rupert where Nate defends him in some way. Like maybe Nate, Ted kind of comes in and saves him, (laughs) carries him away in his arms. It'll be beautiful. Nate has to have a line, right? Like he has to have something that he won't do. And I think that's where we'll see his turnaround in the next Yes, That's when he has to get to the point where he's like, shit, I have done the wrong thing here. And that's what path he chooses after that, to double down and go defensive or to like Mm -hmm. address what an arsehole you've been. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep, yep. Very nice. So I hope Nate does have his moment to see that Ted was there all along, you know? Um, I mean, we know Ted Lasso is set slightly in more reality than than Frozen. <laughs> um, so Nate, just a little bit, just a little bit, tiny bit. He's not going to be able to undo the damage he caused and like just start, you know, like it's not going to be this magical moment where everything's fixed and he, they welcome back him back in. There's going to be work that has to be done. He has to take steps to start healing himself, all of his relationships, you know, and I really hope that we see that. Unlike Elsa, you know, yeah, you can't wave your hands and melt all the snow and ice. You know, Nate was going to have to go on a serious healing journey and, uh, you know, and and dealing with everything that he caused and making be- making back up the relationships that he's lost, you know, or maybe he'll just get banished to Weaseltown and the end. <laughs> <laughs> That's Whistleton. So so maybe Nate will refuse to to cheat in what's obviously going to be the big important final match between Richmond and West Ham and in that way allows the land to be healed by Richmond winning the championship. Yeah. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe that's our Elsa redemption right there. Jason, yeah. Brett, Brandon, tell us what you think. Kenny looks like he has thoughts. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like there's gotta be something more seismic, like some ultimate betrayal. Mm. Yeah. More so than Sam Becks, Sam Becks. What if he goes to the press about Sam Becks? Oh, shoot. Because that would be like, can you come back from that shit? Like, that's, that's a, you know, that's probably worse. We've, we've seen in the show um, that it's so much, and uh, I don't know if you know this, but in real life, it's so much easier to just burn the house down of a woman in power than a man in power. And it's one thing to try and burn down the house of Ted Lasso. Yeah, n- none of us none of us know what you're talking about here, Kenny. Mm, no, I don't know, none of us. <laughs> Sorry, uh, let me just explain a little bit about how women are treated in the media. Heard of it? Oh my gosh, thank you for taking the time. You're so welcome. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. I can, I could imagine the same on Rebecca stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, especially because, you know, Rupert has friends in the media who would easily be willing Ooh. to aid in a bed that. Ooh, oh, yeah. That brutality. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Big time. Yeah. His friends are Robbie Williams. So. Michaela has opinions. I've got opinions. Yeah. I've got opinions. And like the later it gets in the day, the filter just drops. So I'll just start <laughs> saying more random shit by then. Like you should see when we record at 1 a.m. Ooh. Ooh, I do love a good 1 a.m. conversation. Time for some more Disney karaoke choices. Bohemian Sis says, Friend Like Me for our ever-so-friendly Ted Lasso. Errol of Risk says, Reflection from Mulan, sung by Ted. 
Liz says Dr. Sharon's Disney song dedication would have to be Dig a Little Deeper from The Princess and the Frog. Liz also suggests Mabel Evangeline for the starstruck Coach Beard, who, like Ray, has a love interest few understand. Now back to the podcast. I'm going to end us on a little game. I'm going All to right. play a little game. The thing is, I'm really good at coming up with questions and stuff, but when it comes to actually formatting how a game works, I'm not so good at that. So I have 16 questions. And they are lines from either Ted Lasso or Frozen. And then you have a choice between two characters, one from each of the IPs, to choose who said it. That's a really bad way of putting this. Can anybody think of like a way of putting that that's not so... It sounded good to me. me. Yeah. Right, so it's called, who said it? (laughs) Okay, so we'll start with the first line. Are we just going going one for one or teams or... Everybody share your answer. Okay, everybody, everybody share, your, share answer. your answer, and then Michaela tell us how many of us were right. I think okay. best for editing purposes is that if we all agree to speak at once. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that would be really helpful. So let's start with the first one. The the quote is, "Why have a ballroom with no balls?" And I want to know if Anna or Jamie Tarp said it. <laughs> so. Was that, why have a ballroom with no balls? Was that Anna or was that Jamie Tart? Jamie. I say Anna. I think it's Anna because I think Jamie had one, like a line about that with like boots and not about balls. (laughs) (laughs) Jamie wasn't talking about balls. Right. So is everybody going for Anna then? Yes. Everybody's going for, everybody got that right. It was indeed Anna who said. No, I was wrong. I said Jamie. I'll take my, I'll take my no, my wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. If I could do a Mancunian accent, I would say, why have a ballroom with no balls? And it would just seem like it was a Jamie Tart line. It would. It definitely yeah. sounds like something he could say. It does, yeah. Okay, the next one. <clears throat> Quote, he looks like a beautiful angel man. Was that Anna or Danny Rojas? Oh, Danny, Danny Rojas. Danny. <laughs> Danny Rojas, Rojas. Is everybody going Danny Rojas? Danny Rojas. Yeah, you would have been right. It was when he was talking about Nate having a sleep in the bus. Oh. He said he's a beautiful angel man. <laughs> um, the next line is, well, when we're married, what's hers will be mine. And I want to know if that was Prince Hans or Rupert. Prince Hans. It's Hans. Prince Hans. I think it's both of them. <laughs> yeah, they both said both? that. Well, no, well, Rupert has what's what's yours will be mine and what's mine will stay mine because I learned my lesson. It's something like that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. The phrasing. They both said something along those lines, but... It's only on another rewatch of Ted Lasso and Frozen that you see that Rupert's dialogue is exactly... It's all just Prince Hans. Yeah. <laughs> just <laughs> recontextualized. Yeah. That was actually Rupert. <gasps> when he's when he's talking about... When he's with Bex and he says, um, well, when we're married, what's hers will be mine. And I cheated because I cut the rest of the line off. So, yeah. And cut it off well, so we didn't exactly, get the rest of it. I exactly. like it. Yeah, I was being sneaky. I'm a sneaky little bitch. I'm a sneaky, salty little bitch. <laughs> see, you're doing great at this. You're fucking <laughs> yeah, rocking see, this. I'm a good presenter. I'm a good presenter. Uh, the next line, this is a good one. I don't know if I'm elated or gassy, but I'm somewhere in that zone. And I want to know if that was Nate or Anna. <laughs> Anna. <laughs> Definitely Anna. Anna. It's from the first time in forever. It's a Yeah. Little- I have heard that soundtrack. I've heard that soundtrack so many times on long yeah. car trips that um, if it's in a lyric, 
You've got it. I thought I thought that, you know, I might underestimate how popular the song is, but it did sound like that was, was something that Nate would say, potentially, or Ted, but more Nate. So, yeah, well done on that one. You're killing this. Okay, the next one. You've got a coupon for life, young lady. Was that Olaf or Ted? That's Ted. Ted. That's in her. It's in. It's in Rebecca's office after she helped him with the panic attack. Yep. Right. I, Ted. Ted. Sure. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want it to be Olaf, but I know it's Ted. You've got extra points, Marita, for giving me the exact scene. I love it. Yeah, because if Olaf would say it, that would beg larger questions, which is that coupons exist. Which would, <laughs> how do true. coupons exist in Frozen World? And where does he put them? Because he's got no pockets. Use it for a discount so... on the ice. Kristoff yeah. sells ice. Yeah. Sure. Or it could be at you know Oaken's Trading Post. Mm, big summer blowout. Would that necessitate printed media? Oh, I don't know. Oh my god, I didn't expect this like humble little game to start such like philosophical conversations. I'm really proud of myself. <laughs> like I'm actually smarter than I thought. That was sarcasm. Um, next line. Oh my god, this was a horrible idea. Seriously, please go home. Was that Rebecca or Elsa? Rebecca. 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 Yeah, that's what about the milk getting... sisters. About the milk funds, yeah. <laughs> Although it does paraphrase Elsa when she kicks everyone out of the ball. Yes, that's why I picked it. Because basically I thought if she could have said that, she would have. So yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. The next line, I like to consider myself a love expert. Was that Coach Beard or Olaf? Olaf. 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 I'm playing with experts, absolute experts. I'm never going to catch you out. You climbed every single step of that tower on your own. Was that Sassy or Anna? Sassy. Yeah. Spoiler, we talked about that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'd like to give away Joy for free. Olaf or Danny? Danny. 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 Danny Rojas. It could easily be Olaf. Yeah. It could, yeah. The two of them could easily have said that, but Danny's oh, better at it. I love this game. Danny is totally Olaf. None of us did that in any of our site. Danny is I'm going to state it right now. Danny can be Olaf too. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. That's excellent. They don't call me the little dipper for nothing. Is that Higgins or the Errol? Fuck me. Or the Errol Weselton? Weselton. Whatever. <laughs> it's it's the Duke of the Duke of Weselton. It's not even an Errol. Fuck <laughs> sake. So it's not like the Errol Cheesington or whatever. Like the Charles Edgar Cheesington. Charles Edgar Cheesington. Michaela, like any other American, we have no idea what the difference in ranks between a duke and an yeah. earl. Yeah, I'm so. Scottish. We don't fucking have a clue either. Um, <laughs> I, I shouldn't speak for all Scottish people. So, did we guess that that was the fucking Duke of Forever? Because I put yes. Earl. Of, <laughs> yes. I thought it was an earl. The, er, the Earl of Cheesington, yes. That is yeah. very funny. Okay, and the next line is this is an easy one, I think. The Prince Prick of All Pricks. Was that Christoph or Roy? <laughs> Roy! Roy! You know, I, I think we could make the argument that Kristoff would have said it if you could say pricks in a Yeah, I was like, but now I need now I need Kristoff to say it. Yeah. Also I need the R-rated version of Frozen. Listen, I know there's a lot of fic writers out there who must listen to this podcast. Please mm-hmm. give us the frozen Ted Lasso crossover fanfic. Yeah, I need like it. Fence prickable pricks. Yeah, definitely. Sounds to me like someone is trapped inside life's most complicated shape. I love triangle. Was that Ted or Olaf? Ted. Ted. I'm playing with too many professionals. I think that's Olaf. (laughs) No, it's Ted because he also talks about the dodecahedron. Oh, yeah. 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 (laughs) I was with you, Kenny. 
you can see Marita's brain work how it works. I love it. Like you can see it. Yeah, that's exactly it. So it's it was something something that Olaf easily could have said though, if like you weren't as madly obsessed about Ted Lasso as all of us are. Well, and in particular, Roy Kent. I mean, does my face look like it's in the mood for shape based jokes? You can't. That that's. <laughs> it really does. It really does. Okay, where are we going? Where are we going? Right. Open those gates so I may unlock your secrets and exploit your riches. Was that um, Rupert or the Earl of Cheesington? <laughs> Earl of Cheesington. It was the Duke it was of definitely Wesselton. the Duke yeah. of Wesselton. <laughs> Earl of Cheesington. Yeah, we'll go with the Earl of Cheesington. I believe this team can do anything. Was that Nate or Olaf? Nate. Nate. Yeah, mm. Nate. Do you believe it? so yeah. it's, in, it's in Liverpool when they're at the Iron Giant? Olaf. It's Olaf. <laughs> Kenny's got it right. No, I'm just kidding. It was. It was indeed Nate. And it was during the Iron Giant conversation. And I keep forgetting to not pick the ones we've done deep dives on before because I know that you'll all memorize that. <laughs> Two more to go. Two more to go. Hands down, this is the best day of my life. Was that Keely or Olaf? Olaf. Olaf. Olaf, definitely. Might also be the last day of my life, right? Isn't that? that yeah, and the only day. It was because it just was born that day, right? Good or job. Whatever. So the reason day. I think Olaf is more Ted than Danny is because Olaf is so willing to hurt himself to help others. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. true. Totally. That is true. Wow. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, the Ted Olaf, very good connection. I just wanted to throw in you could talk about Danny too yeah but we can composite we can composite character Olaf and have a few in there if it was completely one for one then it wouldn't it would be boring yeah you, know? yes. you want to yes. see a little bit of each character in different ways yes mm-hmm, mm-hmm. last question I think as well I need to learn about like um, building up to exciting stuff instead of going the other way because this one's probably a bit underwhelming but grow up and get over it is that Beard or Kristoff? Beard. 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 Yeah, Beard. Oh, you are absolute pros. You've won everything. <laughs> <laughs> Go us. Woohoo. I should probably do the same with Frozen 2, actually. Girl socks. Golden Girls. <laughs> That's the prize for everyone. It. I was going to ask, though, is it okay to, for the Golden Girls? Because Andrea doesn't like when we call women girls. But I really like the Golden Girls, so I want to be able to forgive them for that. The Golden Women. Yeah, it's okay. Golden gals. That's the one exception. If we choose to call ourselves that, it's okay, right? It's right. Yeah, we're golden women. Mm -hmm. And wait a minute, doesn't Rose tell stories about Saint Olaf? Yes, Yes. she does. Yes, she does. Time is a river. (laughs) It's like poetry; it rhymes. (laughs) Love it. That was a great game. Thank you. I I had a lot of fun. Well done, everyone. I had a lot of fun. Kenny, you got any last thoughts for us on this parallel between Frozen and Ted Lasso? Uh, a, a hot take. It's like the Ted Lasso writers are intentional. It's wild. I mean, that is a hot take. That's, yeah, I'm not sure I can take that one's hard for me to. Yeah. I know. If there's one thing that two seasons of Lasso cast have uh, presented, it's that uh, we thought they were just kind of flying out the hip. Is that the term? Flying out the hip? Yeah, oh, yeah. Flying out the hip? Shooting the out hip. the hip. Shooting off the hip. No, it's flying out the hip now. <laughs> is that like when we're golden girls and we fall and like break our hips? Is that what that is? Yeah, you're flying out the hip uh, because you have blown out your hip. And so you have to call. Uh, <laughs> you have to get a cadaver, get the hip, and they fly out the hip. 
Nice. So you can get a hip replacement. I love you very much. I love you so Sorry to say that. I'm going to be so cheesed if you cut any of my mistakes. I will be, I will be the Earl of Cheesington. You can edit mine too. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to leave everybody said. Don't edit anything I do. I think every single thought that I have is solid gold. I think it would be, I would be rude to edit. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like just like get certain words and have you saying something specific, like really, really controversial. I am a big jerk. Kenny, thank you so much for joining us. You are welcome on this podcast anytime. Oh my gosh. I uh I'm I'm overwhelmed by how thoughtful you all are. It's oh. it's so I mean, it's so lovely just to be part of such a uh, incredible conversation. Yes, you. thank Aww. you. And on the off chance that there's someone who has found us but has not yet found your podcast, can you tell everyone where they can find you? Absolutely. You can just go to lassocast.com or any of our social well, really, I guess our Twitter is most active, and even then, at the moment, it's not really that active. Uh, but you can find the back catalog of LassoCast episodes where we talk with film critics and cast and crew members of the television show Ted Lasso about the TV show Ted Lasso, and uh, I think we're we're pretty dang good at it. I'd agree. You're a I'd really agree. enjoyable group of people to listen to. Why? Thank yeah. you. I think. You were the first. You were the first Ted Lasso podcast I found, and yeah, and it just started to grow from there. So, oh, oh, and hopefully, if I play my cards right, the last one. <laughs> I don't know. There's a lot of books in Ted Lasso, so we might be here for a while. <laughs> yep, <laughs> Andrea just... keeps finding them. So even when you think you found them, Andrea will find another one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I I think you will have exhausted the books whenever you go to the dictionary, and you're like. Uh, <laughs> This book, Ted Lasso takes a lot of liberties from this book called mm, Dictionary. <laughs> Andrea, add that to the list. You can see right here she did spell favorite wrong. <laughs> we'll do the dictionary, the thesaurus. Yeah. I love it. Hey, what are you, a character from the fucking Bible? I mean, we have... Oh, about... <laughs> First thoughts on Bible, honestly? I'm sorry. I don't want to offend anyone. I'm not fucking reading that goddamn book. I've been there, done it. I'm not doing it again. That's that's worse than fucking Fountainhead, Fountainhead for me. I will read Fountainhead. I will not read the Bible. Our next book is uh, we are going to be collaborating with Peanut Butter and Biscuits on One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Awesome. Awesome. I've actually read that before. So this will be the first book I think I've read before. I have not, so looking forward to it. You have misogyny to look forward to. I love good misogyny. <laughs> Why not? Why the fuck not? Sarcasm. Yeah. <laughs> we're we're going to love this book, guys. It's going to be great. Oh, gosh. Why? Why? What is Why? It with, why is, what is it with middle-aged white men and these books from the 90s that I just can't? I just can't. Well, as the biggest... As the world's biggest fan of David Foster Wallace, uh, I have some thoughts. <laughs> uh, again, thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you, Penny. Me. Thank uh, you. Anytime. anytime. Literally anytime. Any, oh, I, I just downloaded two episodes, and I'm excited to listen to Country Race Book Club. Uh, thank you guys so Thank you yeah. all so much. Uh, bye, y'all. Have a lovely day. Bye. bye. Uh, also, bye. Uh, make sure you tell the Peanut Butter and Biscuits crew, uh, Craig and Jeremy, that uh, I'd say hi. 
I love okay. those guys. I love those guys so much. That's uh, the thing. I think Ted Lasso uh, podcast. We're all very supportive yeah. of one another, we need a right? Cuddle, a yeah. cuddle yeah. puddle. We need to have a big cuddle puddle. Or in the case of podcasts, a cuddle puddle. Uh, <gasps> Good. <laughs> Bye, Kenny. Bye. Follow us on Twitter at Beards Book Club or send us an email to coachbeardsbookclub at gmail.com. Subscribe to us on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Share us with your friends and family and leave a five-star review.